It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. So we've been walking through the middle section of chapter four of the book of Ephesians. Again, Paul is setting up a contrast. He's setting our former way of living over here, saying, hey, this is how the world lives. This is how the world thinks. And all the corruption and the, and the darkening of our hearts and our minds, yeah, that's over here. But you have not so learned Christ, that God has done something radical in your life, and you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. And Paul brings up that statement that we've looked at already in a study, this idea of learning Christ. So again, Paul gives this contrast between the life we once lived, verses 17 through 19, and the life we now live in Christ, which is verses 20 through 24. And I mentioned that in this idea of learning Christ, Paul gives three aspects or three ideas associated with this idea of what does it mean to learn Christ? Not what does it mean to learn about Christ, but what does it mean to learn him? And here are the three passages. He says that we are to lay aside, in reference to your former conduct, the old man which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. Number two, we are to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. And number three, we are to put on the new man, which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Again, it's an incredible idea that when we learn Jesus, when we get wrapped up in relationship and intimacy with him, well, there should be three aspects or three realities that flow out of that. In the last study, we looked at the first one, which was this idea of putting off. Again, this idea of putting off is not just a casual setting aside. It's this idea of hucking. It's this idea of throwing it as far as you can. I use the illustration of a baseball that when we lay aside something, when we put off something, again, just like when the men carried Stephen outside the city and and threw their cloaks down at the feet of Saul or Paul, that there wasn't, they probably didn't fold the clothing. They didn't probably just set it nicely down at his feet. The reality is, is they're trying to remove everything that's going to hinder them from killing Stephen. And what would happen if we had that same aggression, that same intensity when we put off that former way of living? That when we look at our sin and and those habits and those addictions and those things that just tend to entice us, what if there would be a definitive reality of our soul that says, okay, no more. I am in Jesus Christ. And as such, I'm going to take this former way of living and allow Jesus in my life just to throw it as far away from me as possible. That this isn't a, well, how close to sin can I get without falling over? This is why would I even want to get close to sin? Rather, I have the opportunity to embrace the reality of Christ in my life. That should be our focus. Now, we read this last time, but in Hebrews chapter 12, it's an incredible statement about this idea of pursuing and throwing off, pursuing Christ and throwing off sin. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, Let us lay aside, let us throw off every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes 
on Jesus. And that really is a calling on all of our lives that we are to throw off every weight, every sin that hinders us and keep our gaze focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in the passage, Paul comes in and says, okay, let me give you another idea with this idea of what does it mean to learn Christ? And he says that we are to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Uh, This is from chapter four, verse 23. He says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's interesting that word renewed, it has this idea of to renewal, obviously, but is this idea of to make new. It's the only time this word is used actually in the New Testament. And it's this a beautiful idea of, of restoration. It's this idea of, of a complete transformation. It's this idea of renewal or to, again, make new. Here's what one scholar said about this word. I just thought this was very beautiful. He said, renewal means much more than reform, reorientation, or reactivation. Since spirit and mind exert a dominating and steering function, a renewed spirit and mind mean no less than a total change of the total man. His internal and external capacities and actions are equally affected. The whole man with his very best concerns, highest abilities, and deepest this word that I cannot pronounce, <laughs> but this deepest longings and passions and, and drive is subject to revolution and new beginning. I just love that idea. Then when we're talking about this idea of renewal, it's not just a, well, we're going we're gonna to polish up this little area. Uh, we're going to improve this little area over here. Rather, it is a complete transformation, a total renewing of the total person. And I don't know about you, but that that is so desperately needed in our lives that we just don't want an improvement. Well, we don't want just like the new latest version of, of, of a phone. Uh, we don't just want the new programming system of a computer. We need a complete overhaul of everything in our lives of how we think and how we talk and how we, how we live, our motives, our actions, everything needs to be renewed, redeemed, transformed by the spirit of God in our lives. Now, it is interesting in the passage, Paul uses this language, the spirit of your mind. And there's really two ways we could understand of what he is saying. One, it could be that he's saying that the Holy Spirit is the one renewing your mind. In other words, you could potentially say it this way, be renewed by the spirit in your mind. Or you could argue that maybe what Paul is saying is he's using these two terms, spirit and mind, synonymously to describe that innermost part of our being, that the heart, the soul, the, what we could call the core, or as Paul would say, the inner man of a person. But it's interesting as you look at the context, and by the way, if you read the, commenta- uh, the, the, common, the commentaries on this passage, the commentators, the scholars seem to be rather split. Some say, well, yeah, it seems like it's the Holy Spirit doing the action upon our mind. And some say, no, 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 it, it's, he's using these two terms, spirit and mind, synonymously. I don't know if it actually matters because the reality is, is, well, how are we renewed in our mind? Well, it's through the Holy Spirit. But it seems like in the context, Paul is referring to these two things as as not the Holy Spirit, but as the spirit in the mind speaking of the inner life. And the reason I've come to that conclusion is because he does not say the spirit, you know, is going to transform your mind but he uses the word of. Uh, Again, in in the passage, he says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. 
not the spirit in your mind. Just maybe a little nerdy in there, but that's just my conclusion. You can decide whatever you want to do. Again, regardless of whether it's the Holy Spirit renewing your mind or whether it is God through the spirit renewing your spirit and mind, the emphasis is still the same to me. What Paul is saying is that God needs to come inside of your life and restore, transform the innermost part of your life. That word mind, again, is not just your thinking, it includes that, but it's the innermost part of you, who you are. It's the reality of your emotions and your thought processes and your reasoning and your your decision-making and all of that needs to be transformed and renewed by Jesus. Here's what one scholar said in light of all of this. He says that this suggests that the pattern, the motivation, and the direction of our thinking needs to be changed. Only then will Christ's character be formed in us and our behavior will reflect his direction and control. So again, regardless of whether it is the Holy Spirit bringing the renewal of our minds or whether Paul is saying that both our spirit and our mind need a renewal, the reality is, is we need renewal. We need a redemption. We need a transformation of the totality of our lives. And that comes through the spirit of God. Let me give you a quick idea as it relates to our passage. It's this idea of ongoing renewal. That this isn't a one and done idea, that this is an ongoing concept and process. When we look back at that word renewed, I love the fact that this verb is in the present passive infinitive. Now, I I understand uh, you may not be a grammar nerd, and that's totally fine. (laughs) But let me tell you what this means, because the grammar here really gives a depth of understanding to what Paul is saying. When it's in the present, uh, in Greek, the present tense functions a slightly different than the English present tense. When we use the present tense in English, we're typically talking about the right now. So right now, presently, you are listening to this study. Right now, presently, I'm talking and giving this study. But in Greek, the present tense has this idea of an it's the ongoing or the forever present tense, meaning it's not just a one-time for right now in the present moment. The idea is that it's a continual, ongoing, progressive kind of a thing. In other words, when is the renewing of your the spirit of your mind supposed to take place? Right now. And right now. And right now. In other words, whenever we're in the present, which is all the time, this should be the reality so think about this. Paul says that that God wants to, because we're learning him, God wants to renew the spirit of our minds, that God wants to take the inner reality of our lives and completely transform it. Well, when does he want to do that? All the time. That there shouldn't be a moment in our lives where God doesn't bring a, a restoration, a renewal, a transformation of our inner lives, that he's going to consistently walk us in a path of sanctification, that there's going to be this ever progression in our lives toward Christ-likeness. And I love the, the fact that this word is in the passive. Now, don't get lost here, but a lot of times, if, if the word is active, it means the subject, for example, myself, would be the one responsible for the action. But that's not what Paul says here. I am not the one responsible for the action of being renewed. 
It's passive, meaning that the subject is the one receiving the action. That to me is profound. And the reason for that is when we look at this idea that God wants to renew the spirit of our minds, you could say, okay, well, all right, what do I need to do? And how do I accomplish this? And, and give me the three-step process and I'm going to grip my teeth and I'm going to pull this thing off and I'm, oh, I'm going to do this. But that's not in the passage. Paul says that whenever you're in the present reality, whenever you're in the present tense, would you receive Hey, would you allow the God of the universe to just flood you with his transforming, renewing, restoring process in your life? So you're not responsible for the action, but you get to receive the action. Isn't that amazing? That God, in his overwhelming love and mercy and kindness for us, wants to bring about a greater and greater transformation. He wants to have this ongoing restoration and renewal in our lives. And I don't know about you, but I could desperately use that. I need that in my life. I can't fix up my life. I can't live godly. I can't, I can't perform the things of the word on my own. I need the God of the universe and his overwhelming resource to invade my overwhelming helplessness. And what's amazing is in scripture, that is called Christianity. That as I walk by faith and as, as I walk in dependences and as I abide in him, he in his overwhelming sufficiency invades my overwhelming insufficiency and brings about that reality in my life. So how do I live the Christian life? Oh, I need him. Hey, how, how, do, how am I being renewed moment by moment by moment? Oh, he's the one doing it. Now, this is all over scripture. When you look at this idea of transformation and renewal, this idea shows up all over the place. Let me just give you a few passages. Uh, probably the most famous one is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We read this previously, but this is what Paul says. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed Again, it's in the present tense. It's an ongoing reality, a transformation by the renewing. Isn't that interesting? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may approve what the will of God is, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. In Titus chapter three, verse five, Paul says, he saved us not by works, which we did in righteousness, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul says, But we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Or, or you could translate that from one degree of glory to another, just as from the, just as from the Lord the Spirit. And then he says in, in chapter four, verse 16 of second Corinthians, therefore do not lose heart, but, th but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Do you get that? There is this overwhelming reality in scripture that you and I are being transformed. We are being renewed. We are being restored moment by moment by moment that there is this ever-progressing reality of transformation, that we're going from one degree to another, that 
every single day, there's a greater work of sanctification in our lives. He is molding and shaping and transforming us to look more and more like Jesus. That there is a greater godliness and holiness and Christ-likeness happening in our lives. That to me is so exciting. So it does not matter where you are in the process. Would you allow the overwhelming God to invade your life And would you allow him to bring about that restoration, renewal, and transformation? Let me give you another quick idea. And it's this idea of an ongoing contrast. I find it really interesting as as you look back at verse 22, which we looked at in the last study, that whole put off idea. Paul says in Ephesians 4 verse 22, look at this again. He says that we are to lay aside or put off in reference to your former conduct, that old man, that former lifestyle which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. Now, that word being corrupted is also in the present tense. And I find that really fascinating because when we live here in our former way of living, when we live in that old man lifestyle full of selfishness and and sin, do you realize that there is an ever ongoing progression of corruption so if you want to if you want to live in sin, hey, if you want to live in selfishness, all right, that's your choice. But there's going to be this progression of corruption in your life where day by day by day, there is this corruption that is happening. And Paul contrasts that with our passage saying, but, but look, in Jesus, when you've learned Christ, that there is this day by day, ongoing, present reality, this progression of renewal, transformation, and restoration. So really, you have a choice in this. You, you can either stay in your sin and stay in your selfishness and, and stay in that former philosophy of living that you've always had, or you can learn Christ. So as you look at this idea, there is going to be a present reality in both of those. And when you look at the unbelieving world, the unbelieving world is experiencing an ongoing progression of corruption. And it doesn't take much nowadays to look at our world and be like, yeah, we're going downhill quickly. Why? Because the reality of sin is that the wages of sin is death. There is a payment for sin and there is an ongoing progression of corruption. So the contrast, the ongoing contrast then is you're either going to have an ongoing progression of corruption or you're going to have an ongoing progression of renewal and restoration and transformation. I don't know about you, but I certainly want the latter. <laughs> it's like, I desperately want the transformation. But again, it's fascinating that there's this contrast in the passage, which is why we must put off, we must throw off that former way of living and get rid of that corrupting progression of sin and walk in the reality of Christ. In short, it's interesting to me that you can't coast in Christianity. See, there's always a progression. If I'm in sin, I'm going to have a progression. If I'm a Christian, there's going to be a progression. There's no coasting in life. That I can't just be like, oh, well, I, I accepted Jesus and I'm just going to, oh, I'm just going to sit on the lazy river and float to Jesus <laughs> or float to heaven. That, that's not how it works. That, that I'm either going to be a progressing in renewal and transformation and day by day by day, I'm going to look more and more like Jesus or I'm going to find myself being more and more corrupted. In other words, there is no coasting in life. All that to say is this, 
when Paul says that we have not learned Christ this way, that our former way of living, that's that's not how we learn godliness. Do you realize, and I, I've already said this, but just to repeat it, because I think this is so important in the passage, we need Jesus, that, that we need that learning of Christ. See, Christianity is not a fake it till you make it kind of an idea. See, the, this is not a not an improvement of our former way of living where, where you know, Jesus kind of puts on a hat and, and smiles and says, "Woo, look at that. I, I kind of cleaned up that former way of life. <laughs> God doesn't clean up the former way of life. He radically changes it. Hey, he doesn't just improve your life. He transforms it. So how do you live the Christian life? Well, you don't live it as a, okay, I'm going to grip my teeth. I'm going to fake this thing till I make it. And, uh, so that's not Christianity. See, Christianity is an encounter with the living God where you and your overwhelming helplessness realize that his overwhelming sufficiency is enough for you and his overwhelming sufficiency has radically changed your overwhelming helplessness. And this whole thing is changed. In fact, so much so that Paul says you have a brand new nature, that you're a new creation. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus, that you are not the same. So again, Jesus doesn't improve your life. He changes your life. One of my all-time favorite uh, Christian men from, from history past uh, is this British man by the name of Ian Thomas. I just, I love Ian Thomas. I, I wish he was still around. He died a couple decades ago. But Ian Thomas just had an overwhelming love for Jesus. And when, when Ian Thomas preaches or when you read his books, there is this over, I don't know how to describe this, there is this overwhelming desire for the sufficiency of Christ in our lives. And there's his answer is always Jesus, which I really like. And I want to just give a quote by Ian Thomas because I think it says this really well in relationship to this idea of how much we need Jesus. So this is what Ian Thomas says in his book, The Mystery of Godliness. He says, godliness is not the consequence of your capacity to imitate God, but it is the consequence of his capacity to reproduce himself in you. So this is not self-righteousness, but Christ-righteousness, the righteousness which is by faith, a faith which by renewed dependence upon God releases his divine action to restore that marred image of the invisible God. It is not inactivity, but Christ activity. It is God in action, accomplishing the divine end through human personality. Did you get that? Ian Thomas is saying, look, the reality of Christ likeness, that reality of being restored and renewed and transformed is not out of self-effort. You can't produce this. Well, how's this gonna take place? Would you allow Jesus to invade your life and produce it in and through you? See, this is about his work, his activity flowing in and through your life. So this is not about, okay, I'm going to fake it till I make it. I'm going to, I'm going to grip my teeth. I'm going to pull this thing off. I'm going to, this is, would you receive his transformation? Hey, would you receive his renewal? Hey, would you receive this restoration and transformation of life that we desperately need? So would, would, you, would you quit trying to do God's job in your life? And, and again, as, as Ian Thomas said, this is not about inactivity. We're not talking about 
you know, you just sit on a couch and, you know, you put potato chips until God does something in your life. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about inactivity. We're talking about his activity in and through us. That what we need is Jesus. What we need is his life. Paul said something very similar in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. He said this, let this mind, and that word can be translated attitude or mindset or, you know, perspective of living. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul says, do you know what you need? You need his mind. You need his attitude. You need his perspective. Uh, the word in Greek for now, it's this idea of like glasses. Would you put on the glasses of Christ and would you see life through his perspective? Would you have his heart and his mind and, and his attitude? Well, how are you going to pull that one off? We need Jesus. <laughs> Because I, I can't mimic Jesus. I need his life invading my own and pulling this thing off. So again, the only way I'm, I can live as a Christian, the only way I can have his mind is I need him. Well, what does his mind look like? Oh, listen to this. Paul describes the mindset of a Christian and he says, this is all about Jesus. Think about this. Finally, brothers, this is Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is dignified, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, think, consider these things. So what are we to do then? Am I, am I just supposed to sit here and wait for God to do something? No. Go after Jesus. Pursue him. Aggressively go after the reality of Christ come to Christ and say, God, I am, I'm overwhelmingly helpless. I, 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 I've got nothing. I can't pull this thing off. So God, would you in your overwhelming sufficiency invade my overwhelming helplessness? God, I am desperate for you. See, what if that was our attitude all the time? What if we're like, God, I need transformation. God, God, I, I, I want to walk in abiding, the surrender, abiding, dependent relationship. And this is not about what Nathan can come pull off for Jesus. Whew, isn't he lucky? See, this is what I allow the God of the universe to do something in and through my life that me in and of myself cannot do. See, that's the reality of the Christian life. So I need to learn Christ. Well, how am I going to do that? Will you go after him? Paul in Colossians chapter three said this, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are of the earth. For you died and your life has been hidden with Christ in God. Do you hear that? Hey, if, if God has done something in you, if you have been raised up, well, what am I supposed to do? Keep seeking him. Allow him to do something in and through you. Allow him to restore, transform, change, and renew your life. I love what Hebrews 11 verse 6 says. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Do you know what the reward is if we diligently seek Jesus? We don't get money and cars or mansions and see none of that stuff's promised. What we get from him as a rewarder, if we would diligently seek him, is we get the very thing that we're seeking, which is him. 
So can I encourage you? Would you go after Jesus? Hey, would you just make him everything in your life? I mean, that has been Paul's point all through Ephesians, that we are to be seated in Christ Jesus. He is to be the passion and the throb of our heart, that he is to be preeminent. He is to be the drive of our life. So if how are we going to learn Christ? What does it look like to actually learn him? Well, I'm going to have to put off my former way of living, and I'm going to have to be renewed moment by moment by moment by his spirit. I'm going to have to allow the spirit of God to transform my inner life moment by moment by moment. And in the next study we're going to look at, we're going to find out that we have to put on something. And maybe you're sitting there going, oh, Nathan, I feel a bit overwhelmed. Let me give you a quick quote just to wrap this up by Ian Thomas. I love what Ian Thomas says. This may be my favorite quote from him. He said, you can't, but he never said you could. He will, and he always said he would. Can I encourage you? Don't try to mimic. Because God says you can never live this on your own anyway. The reality of scripture is you can't, but he can. So would you allow him to invade your life and bring about that restoration, that transformation, that life-changing reality of your inner life that affects everything in your life? I desperately want that. Not just for me, I desperately want that for you as well. And I hope you'll join us in the next study as we look on not just what we're to put off, but more importantly, what are we to put on in our lives? Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.